Welcome to Hope Chapel's Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. And we also want to invite you to join us in person at a worship service Friday at 7, Saturday at 6, or Sunday mornings at 9 or 11. Well, if you looked at your notes, I want to talk to you this morning about one of our favorite subjects. What's that? Fasting. Can you hardly wait? It's been about almost two years since we've engaged the fast. I think it's about time that we fast again. We engage this spiritual discipline that is very, very necessary for the health and well-being, spiritual health, spiritual well-being of Christians. We need to draw close to him, and we do so with prayer and fasting. So I want to talk to you this morning about fasting and give you a, just a, a, a biblical perspective on what the Bible has to say. We've been... We've been Singing, we sang this morning for revival. Do we need revival? Absolutely. The church, I submit to you, needs renewal. God needs to move in the lives of, of his people to renew them if revival is going to happen because it's only going to start with us reaching out to other people. So we're, we're, we're singing, we're praying for revival. We're praying that God would give us boldness and all of those things are going to come as we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God says to his people Israel that if they would humble themselves, if they would repent, and they would cry out to God, that he would what? He would heal their land. Do you remember that passage? And I think it's fair to say we need healing in our land. And it's got to start with us. Nobody else, nobody else knows the truth, as do Christians. So let's talk about fasting. What is a fast? What does it mean to fast? When that word, you hear that word, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, it simply means to abstain from, for a limited period of time, from some kind of food, whether it's solid or liquid. This would include coffee. Oh, I know. Oh, no, not coffee. I can feel the headache coming on now. <laughs> you can drink water. Isn't that great? A fast can include also not just fasting from food. It can include fasting from other, other things. Excuse me. <clears throat> other um, comforts, other pleasures, other activities. Imagine if you would. Have you noticed how people have over the past couple of years developed an extra appendage to their arm? What is that appendage? I mean, it's inseparable. People, you, people are walking doing this. What if you fasted from that thing for one day? Could that actually happen? I think so. What if you fasted from television? One day. We're talking about a one-day fast. Sunset to sunset, basically. Evening to evening. The fast would be on a Tuesday to a Wednesday. Tuesday evening to Wednesday evening. Most of you are in mini church, and so you can break the fast at mini church on Wednesday. But my mini church is on Tuesday. 
We're going to fast for the balance of the month of June, July, and August, right through the summer, as we, as we enter into the fall. Wouldn't that be great? We're going to come into the fall full of God's grace and power. Isn't that a beautiful vision? It's a goal, huh? So we can fast, primarily from food. It's a voluntary thing. Fasting is a voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of, and this is important, for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Now, I know that's a broad phrase. It can encompass a number of things. But the key is intense spiritual activity. We want to seek the Lord. We want to humble ourselves before Him. It's an act of self-discipline for spiritual purposes. Fasting is not a spiritual hunger strike. Fasting is not a manipulative device to manipulate God. To It's kind of a, a spiritual quid pro quo. Nor is fasting a form of of dieting, albeit some people may actually benefit physically from a fast. So why should I fast? What will I get out of it? Am I going to get anything out of it? Let me suggest to you that the best fast is the one which has no ulterior motive. Think about that. We can think of a whole lot of things we're going to want God to do for us. Okay, I'm going to fast. And you almost come to the place where you make it a quid pro quo. Okay, God, I'm going to fast. I'll do this if you do that. The very best fast is one in which there is no ulterior motive. Then why should I fast? Zechariah chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests... When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Now, the the Israelites were fasting in Babylon during that 70 years of captivity prior to God bringing them back into the land. But his statement to them was what? Was it really for me that you fasted? That's the issue. That's the question. God, I'm going to fast unto you. I'm going to fast unto you. Now, what in the world does that mean, fast unto him? You start fasting and you start asking, Lord, how do I do this unto you? What's it going to look like, fasting unto you? Do you think that that's a question he might answer? I think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Joel chapter 2, Joel says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. When was the last time you sought the Lord with all your heart? Think about that. When was the last time you sought him with all your heart? And he's saying, seek me, essentially, with all your heart with fasting and mourning and weeping. Gives us an idea of what it means to fast unto him. In Acts chapter 13, you have the uh, church at Antioch and, and they're meeting. 
and they're worshiping and they're fasting together. They're seeking the Lord. They want to know what his will is for the church at Antioch. And in the midst of that fasting and praying, the Lord says to them, set apart Saul and Barnabas. Because now they're going to be launched on those missionary journeys to establish the churches throughout the, the continent. Lord, I'm going to worship you and fast. Will I get anything out of this? Yes. But God wants us to understand that we are motivated out of a desire and love for him. Quite simply to go after a closer walk with him. Is it a fair statement to say that some of us might need a closer walk with him? Yeah. And if you're, if you're aware of that, if you have a, a sense of consciousness, Lord, I just, I just, I want to be closer to you. This is one of those mechanisms, if you will, whereby you can express that desire and you can engage that desire to have a closer walk with him. In Joel chapter 1, verse 14, declare a holy fast. A holy fast. That word holy means to be set apart. The whole idea of fasting is to be set apart to him, for him. And again, if we don't fully grasp what that, under, what that means, you, 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 you practice, you start engaging and saying, Lord, show me, teach me what it means to be set apart to you, really. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Peter says this, Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And the rest of the verse says, And he will in due time lift you up. He'll strengthen you, perfect you, and confirm you. But right now, our job is to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Not to assert our rights, not to demand things. And we can be, sometimes as Christians, we can be quite arrogant before the Lord. He says, humble yourselves under his mighty hand. Fasting is simply an external, physical expression of this internal attitude of humbling ourselves. It starts inside and works its way out. Just like baptism or water baptism is an external expression of what has gone on inside of us spiritually. Do you make, does that make sense to you? Are you with me? In the Old Testament... The Old Testament conveys this idea of afflicting oneself. And this was a demonstration of that humbled soul, that humbled attitude. And Leviticus chapter 16 spoke of fasting as denying oneself. Does that sound familiar, denying oneself? I recall somebody said that. Somebody said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and what? Follow me. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus. Denying ourselves. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of, of humbling ourselves. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3, Isaiah equates fasting with humbling. Equates the two. In fact, David in Psalm 35 says, I will humble myself 
with fasting. It's a denial. It's a denial of a very natural kind of thing uh, that, that we eat two to three times a day. But I'm going to deny that. I'm going to deny myself that for the purpose of intense spiritual activity. And fasting was practiced in Israel not only as an expression of a humble soul, but also as an expression of a dependent soul. God, I'm dependent on you. I really need you. Those aren't just empty words, but they reveal a genuine sentiment of the heart. God, I need you, I need you, I need you. We have examples in the Old Testament of fasting in a number of environments. Moses fasted in, in preparation to have a conversation with God, didn't he? Where did he have that conversation with God? On Mount Sinai. Do you remember that? And in Exodus, we have, we have this account of Moses going up on the mountain in Exodus chapter 34, that he was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. That's called an absolute fast. That is a supernatural fast. Don't try it unless God enables you to do it. And he wrote down on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So in preparation for conversation with God, Moses fasted. Daniel also, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is seeking to have a conversation with God. He has questions for God. He says, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Does that sound like someone who's humbled themselves before him? Absolutely. We have examples also of people fasting when they're oppressed by great cares. Do you remember when David had that son by Bathsheba? And God said that he was going to, what, discipline David by taking that son. But nonetheless, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we read this, David fasted and wept for his child for seven days. The child eventually died, but David humbled himself before the Lord and wept. Again, in Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, we read this. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. There's an example of what we call a partial fast. So he ate basically vegetables and water. No choice food touched his lips. We have examples also when there's danger, danger of war, danger of destruction. In Judges chapter 20, the Israelites versus the Benjamites. This is a war amongst the people of Israel. And then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. This time, the Benjamites, when they came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites all of them armed with swords. Then the Israelites and all the people went up to Bethel. And there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening, presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was there with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministering before it. 
And they asked, shall we go up again to battle with Benjamin, our brother, or not? And the Lord responded, go for tomorrow. I'll give them into your hands. And so what did they do before the Lord? How did they humble themselves before the Lord? By prayer and fasting. They inquired of the Lord with fasting. God says, I'm going to give you the victory. When there's danger, danger of war, danger of uh, destruction, we have examples of fasting. The great example of Esther. You remember that? Esther. Esther called for a fast. Why? Because the Jews were in danger of being all destroyed. And her uncle said, who knows, but you've been, what, called for such a time as this. And so in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, we read this. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The law was that no, no one, especially a woman, could approach the king. And she knew that. And yet they fasted for three days and she went before the king. And what happened? Freedom for the Jews. They were not destroyed. A miracle happened. Fasting also, we have examples of fasting in, from Ezra. The setting is they're coming back from captivity and Ezra is bringing back, back the first group of Jews from Babylon to repopulate the land of Israel, to repopulate Judah. And in Ezra chapter 8, this is, this is terrific. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves. See the connection again? Fasting and humbling ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and all of our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king. The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. So here they're coming back from Babylon to re-enter the land of Palestine and they're, they're just bragging on their God to the king. And so now they, how can they ask him for help? They're utterly dependent on the Lord and so they fasted and they prayed. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful picture? But in the course of time, as everything else, fasting lost its really deeper meaning and purpose and it degenerated simply into a religious ritual. People just going through the motions. And the prophets spoke, they spoke out against the loss of the real meaning of fasting. Isaiah chapter 58 is probably the clearest, most substantial passage on fasting that we have in the Bible. God doesn't invalidate fasting. He does invalidate the way that they were going about it. Listen to these verses, Isaiah 58, 1 through 7. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. 
They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Now he describes a genuine fast. To loosen the chains of injustice. To untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. Break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? He defines for them what a proper fast is. They say to him, they ask him that question in verse 3. Why have we fasted? In in effect, you've not heard. Why have we humbled ourselves and there's there's not anything happened? God answers, it's because When you fast, it doesn't affect your life. There's no change. It doesn't affect the way you behave yourself with other people. It doesn't even affect how you live the course of your life every day. There's there's no difference. You're not involved in prayer. All you're doing is not eating. Wow, what a condemnation. What an indictment. He says, not only that, but you go about life in its usual course, including strife between yourself and your neighbors and your relatives. Arguing and fighting. He says to them, it's in effect not a time of repentance. Not a time of change of attitude towards others and towards their needs. Your fast doesn't amount to anything. He says, that's why nothing happens. God expects to move. In response to our fast, when we fast unto him, he expects to move. But for some reason, he doesn't move. Why is that? Because our fast amounts to nothing. It's just a ritual. It's just a religious exercise. He says, if you want to get through to me, don't go about it in the way you've been going about it. When you fast, there should be spiritual breakthroughs. When you fast, there should be true ministry. We're not commending ourselves to him, but simply to enable ourselves to truly focus on him and submit ourselves to him, to his will, to his service, not our own self-service. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his will. We come together as a body, as a congregation, and we focus on him. One day a week, we pray, we fast unto him. Lord, your will be done. Amen? Does that make sense? Again, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says it really, really bluntly, boldly. In Jeremiah chapter 14, 
God says, although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with sword, famine, and plague. This was, this was how abominable in, in God's sight was the fasting of the people because it wasn't a real fast. They weren't seeking him. They were just going through the religious uh, exercise. In Zechariah chapter 7, listen to Zechariah. He condemns the way the Israelites practice their fast. He says, then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests. When you fasted mourn in the fifth and seventh month for the past seven years, was it really for me that you fasted? When you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice, show mercy, compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts do not think evil of each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations where they were strangers the land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. Wow, what an indictment. People were not, his people called to fast, were not fasting as unto him. And you read his response. Both Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah. The response is all the same. The prophets were not condemning fasting. They were condemning the insincerity with which it was being practiced. It degenerated into just simply a religious ritual. Jesus' attitude was much the same, wasn't it? In Matthew's gospel in chapter 6, what does Jesus have to say about fasting? He says, if you fast. No, when you fast. The presumption is that we would be fasting. When you fast, how should you fast? Don't look somber as the hypocrites. Are you okay? Well, I'm fasting today. <laughs> we are so dodo heads, aren't we? When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. Wow. Is there an implication there that maybe some kind of reward is a result of humbling ourselves and fasting? Wow. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that men... It will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Who's the only person that needs to know and see that we're fasting? He does. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Wow. Isn't that awesome? 
See, he's talking about fasting unto him. Nobody else needs to know. I mean, we know we're doing it, but we don't want to walk around like somber, bummed out people. Oh, I can't eat today. Well, you may as well eat because that fast is no good for you. Does that make sense? So fasting, among other things, fasting is a time for personal humbling and repentance. It's a time for personal humbling and repentance. Again, Psalm 35, David says, I humbled myself with fasting. And again from Isaiah 58.3, why have we fasted? Why have we humbled ourselves? So we see the connection between fasting and humbling. It's an exercise of deliberate humbling of ourselves. Fasting also is a time for spiritual renewal and recommitment. We live our life sometimes and we, just, we, just, we, we never get to that place where, where we reaffirm our commitment to him. We reaffirm it. We should be doing that every day. Every day we wake up in the morning, we say, Lord, today I'm living it for you. Because all that can get lost in the midst of the busyness of our day. Was that, is that a fair statement? You go to bed at night and you say, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. Isaiah 58 again. Six and seven. He basically says that fasting ought to lead to spiritual breakthroughs and surrender to God's service. God's will. Lord, what would you have me do? Reveal these things to me. If he hasn't already. And maybe that's a time where you reaffirm that commitment. Fasting is not just external, but it's internal. Fasting actually can be a prompt to abstinence. Are there, are there some things in our life that you think that we should probably abstain from? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And fasting can be an actual prompt to lead us to abstain from certain things. It also is an opportunity to discipline the flesh. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> fasting can ignite a desire for prayer. You find yourself praying in a different way. And fasting also testifies to repentant heart, a repentant attitude. Fasting also is a time for learning to understand God's will. How many want to know God's will for your life? And not just in a general sense, don't sin, you know, love one another, those kinds of things, but the particular things of life. You want to know God's will for your life. God, I want to know what you want of me today. I want, to, I want you to know, if you're not married, who, Lord, who should I marry? You got a whole row of young, beautiful, single women right here. Where should I live? What kind of career should I follow? Those are major life decisions. Would it be good to know what God's, God's will is in those areas? I think so. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3 again. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. He's pleading with God to know God's will for Israel while they're still in Babylon. And when are they going to come? When is God going to release them? And then in chapter 9, verses 20 through 23, we read this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people to Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, meaning Jerusalem, 
While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. This is exactly what Daniel would be praying about. I've come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. And so he's got an answer to his prayer. And what was he doing? He was seeking the Lord. He was seeking to know God's will. Not just a selfish kind of thing, but on behalf of his people. God says in Psalm 32, verse 8, that he will teach us. He'll instruct us. He'll lead us in how we should go. And fasting also is a time for expressing, quite simply, wholehearted devotion to God. It simply boils down to that. In Joel chapter 2, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. How many are glad for that news? Who knows? He may turn and have pity. Seek him with all your heart. When was the last time we sought him with all of our heart? With weeping and mourning and fasting. Unto him. So a fast, a fast really is a means to an end. What's the end? To become closer to him. To become closer to him. To know him better, to know his will better, his purpose. Not to get him to do what we want. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes us. Jesus said, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you'll be left out in the cold. (laughs) What does he say? No, all all the things you're concerned about, all the things you're worried about. He says, I'll take care of them. We get all caught up and worried about this thing and that thing and the other thing and the legitimate concerns. But really, when we contextualize them in, in, into God's hands, we say, Lord, I want to seek you. I'm going to seek you because I know that you know what's going on better than I do. And I know that your will is best, more better than mine. I pray your will be done. But I'm not going to be a posture to even say that wholeheartedly unless I do what? Unless I surrender to him and seek him with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength with prayer and fasting. Does that make sense? Are you getting excited? Can you hardly wait to get so fast? Yes. Fasting can also do a number of things for us and to us. Fasting can help us keep our balance in life. Some of us kind of are out of balance. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Can we, can we understand that one? Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So you have to ask yourself, am I body ruled 
or my spirit ruled? Who's in control, my body or the spirit? My body ruled or spirit controlled? When I fast, my body does not tell me when to eat. I tell my body when it's going to eat, right? When I fast and my body says, feed me, feed me. I have to say no, but I'm hungry. I don't care. I'm giving you the day off. <laughs> Fasting also helps reveal what controls us. Oh, what controls us? You know, when you fast, you can get a little bit on edge. Those hunger pangs. You know, and someone looks at you cross-eyed. You go, Shh. Reveals what controls you. Does anger control you? Does bitterness control you? Jealousy, strife, pride? Those things, in fact, may surface in a fast. Simply because you're deliberately denying yourself and weakening the flesh. Much more susceptible to those things becoming visible. Whereas before you could easily control them. Closing, let's, some things to remember. Number one, are my motives right? Are my motives right? Or is there rather a hidden desire to impress others? Remember what Jesus said. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't need to worry. I don't need to worry. He sees in secret. He'll take care of everything. Isn't that great? Secondly, what are my spiritual objectives in this fast? Well, certainly the first one should be what? To draw close to him. Fasting unto him. But those objectives can also include, I want to grow. I want to grow spiritually. I want to become a more mature Christian. Maybe you can use that time also as a time of intercession that you would pray for others. Maybe this is special burdens that you want to bring before the Lord. It could be that you could seek after wisdom and insight. We always need wisdom, don't we? God, give me wisdom. Help me to, help me to know. And of course, boldness and revival. Boldness and renewal. God, I want to be bold. I want to be bold in how I live my life and I want to be able to enunciate to other people the truth of who you are. Thirdly, do my objectives tend to be self-centered? Is my desire for personal blessing balanced by a genuine concern for others? And again, Isaiah talked about that. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And lastly, am I determined above all else to draw close to the Lord, to fast unto him, to minister unto him? I, I can minister to the Lord? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He loves for us to come near. He loves for us to worship him. He loves for us to acknowledge him in all of our ways. Because it's in our own best interest to do that. Am I determined above all else to minister to him? 
Beloved, if our fasting is not unto the Lord, we have failed. Plain and simple. Physical benefits, success in prayer, spiritual insights, power, all these things are good, but they must never replace God as the center of our fasting. Amen. Are you ready? Excited? This week? Tuesday night through Wednesday night, 24 hours. Seek the Lord. The balance of this month, July and August. Can you hardly wait to be excited to see how God is going to work in your life, in the life of our body? Isn't that exciting? Fasting. How many are going to join me? Alejandro, get your hand up, buddy. (laughs) Caesar, get your hand up. Come on, Elizabeth. Dougie, all right. Get those hands up. God sees those hands. (laughs) Lonnie. (laughs) Winnie, did you have your hand up? All right. All right. Let's pray. Lord, you see those hands. And we are excited excited to engage you, excited to minister to you in this upcoming fast. We're excited, Lord, for knowing you better and drawing closer and closer, becoming more intimate to you. And Lord, we know it's only one day, but Lord, we know that you're excited about having us come to you. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us in our resolve. And we ask, Lord, that you would do a great and mighty thing. We, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done more fully in our lives, the lives of our families, our church, this community, to the ends of the earth. And fathers, we anticipate your table right now. We bow before you and we ask you by your spirit to search our hearts. If there's any hurtful way in us, we can confess those things, repent of them, confident that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We want to come to your table with clean hands. We give you thanks. Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, we want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.